And we back. What's up? What's up, Nick? How you doing, man? What's up? What's up, Gabe? How you doing, man? I don't know why you got to make fun of me like that. Wait till you listen to, to your part in this episode. Get ready to make <laughs> fun of that. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, at, at times I was a little bit nervous and um, awkward, but we were just around one of the greatest athletic trainers we've ever had the chance to talk to and to ever do it. So, I mean, I'm sorry for, for being nervous. You know hey, you know what? You I'm know not what? sorry, Gabe. I'm not sorry. Okay? Hashtag sorry, not sorry. You had plenty of excuse to be nervous in this uh, this interview because we had uh, Marco Nunez. He is an ath- athletic trainer. Uh, that's what he's most known for. He was with the, the Lakers for a very, very long time. He's coached some of the greats with Kobe, uh, Pau Gasol, Andrew Bynum, Kyle Kuzma, LeBron James. He was up until two, 2019, I believe. And he had plenty of stories. He had us rolling at some points. Yeah, he had some great stories, even some great Kobe Bryant stories that you thought Mama Mentality was just a saying, but wait till you hear these stories because, I mean, Mama Mentality is a real thing, and he tells us about that. Absolutely. If you thought uh, a tour Achilles was one thing, man, you just wait till you get a firsthand experience. <laughs> yeah, this was a lot of fun. So I, I hope you guys enjoy it. Be sure to check out this episode. Hey, Nick. Yeah. Play that saxophone. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ever heard of a cardboard boxy? It's it's kind of like an armchair quarterback. It's a word we made up, and we think it fits our views of basketball pretty well. Our made-up phrase means that we think and act like a manager of a team, or even the commissioner some days. But we don't exactly have the bank account to follow up on our team-owning aspirations. We've got ideas and opinions about the league that change when we come up with new ones, and we may have some funny jokes. The important thing is we love basketball. But we also realize there are plenty of important people who make what you see on the court run smoothly. There are a lot of people who work behind the scenes to make the league the best it can be. And we like to showcase them because they don't always get the credit they deserve. If you're looking for great interviews and bad jokes, you've come to the right place. So come watch with us from our cardboard box seats. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of Cardboard Box Seats. Nick's here. Gabe's here. And today we have a very special guest, Marco Nunez. Hey, everybody. Nice to meet you. My name is Marco Nunez. I'm a performance athletic trainer. I've been working in the professional setting for a little bit over uh, 20, 21 years. Awesome. Awesome. Well, can you kind of go into that a little bit, kind of give our listeners the, the scenic route of your career this far? Sure. So, um, you know, uh, like I said, uh, I'm... I went to undergrad school specifically for, uh, well, actually, I went to undergrad school initially for to become a civil engineer. I did that for about two years. Um, didn't like it, so then I switched over to uh, medicine. Uh, my goal was to go into uh, kind of orthopedic surgery, and then I kind of stumbled upon um, athletic training, uh, literally by accident. I was attending <laughs> a, uh, a leadership conference on, on campus. The, the, the keynote speaker was our head athletic trainer. I was really fascinated, so it kind of just, as I say, the rest is history type of thing. Um, I attended Cal Poly Pomona, um, and I, the reason why I went there is because of their civil engineer here in California. Um, we don't have any many sports teams, so being an athletic trainer there was a little bit uh, difficult because we only had soccer, some basketball, uh, um, stuff like that, no football. I want to kind of dive into the major sports, like the football, the big contact sports, because that's where you learn and kind of go from there. The good thing is that when I took it, I'm not going to age myself, but several years ago, um, it was an internship route that allowed me to go and do interns everywhere I wanted to go. So I had the opportunity to intern in a variety of areas and and, and decided to, uh, that professional sports was the, the area that I wanted to go into. Um, obviously, getting into pro sports is very difficult. Um, if you talk to every athletic trainer, whether in the NBA, NFL, Major League Baseball, and they're the head athletic trainers or performance trainer, and you ask them, you know, what was their path? I will guarantee you everybody's path is completely different. You know, and I get student athletic trainers asking, hey, well, what should I do to get to where you were? And I, I, I can't really tell them because everybody's path is different. There's not one way path. You know, it's not like, you know, like a CEO. Hey, you work here or you work at the company. You work way up and maybe eventually become CEO. But basically, an athletic trainer is um, you are basically, you know, sometimes I kind of joke around that I say I'm a little bit of a glorified babysitter and other athletes will kind of tell you that. <laughs> but our job is to, to attend to the needs, to uh, yeah, basically to attend to all the medical needs of the athletes. Our job is to make sure that the athlete is well from a 
um, rehab standpoint, from a any form of medical standpoint, from even uh, you know dental standpoint, anything that's going to affect the athlete's performance on the court, whether it's nutrition, whether it's strength and conditioning, whether it's rehab, whether it's dental, whether it's mental, whether it's sleep science, our job as athletic trainers to attend to it, try to figure it out, and get them out there as much as possible. Um, you know what I tell everybody, I kind of uh, the analogy I use is kind of take like NASCAR a car, right? Our job as athletic trainers to make sure that that car or that athlete is running in tip-top shape, and they're running. On, on the on the on the court or on the track and as, as, as at, at the best ability so to speak to be able to kind of win races type of thing um, whether it's you know the oil whether it's the engine whether it's the tires the brakes whatever it is our job is at the trainers to attend to that address it prepare the athlete and get them in peak performance to be able to compete at their peak performance Gotcha. So, Marco, we are going to focus a little bit on your time with the NBA right now, and we'll get to kind of where you are working right now, kind of post that NBA career. But we were really wanted to know what does a day to day kind of operation look like for an athletic trainer? I, you, you mentioned a lot of stuff going on. You mentioned cool. dental stuff, sleep science, all of the above. So kind of what's what's a day to day routine look like? So, uh, yeah, so I'll give you a prime example. You know, when I first got into athletic training, especially working with the Lakers or first setting with the LA Sparks, um, I would always go speak to uh, young student athletic trainers and I would kind of tell them what it would be like. And at, at the beginning, I would kind of sugarcoat it and say, hey, you know, it's a great place because everybody thinks of it this way type of thing. And, hey, you, you kind of get there. And, and, and it is great. I mean, there's ups and there's a lot of lows. But in reality, it's very, um, there's a huge time commitment and very time consuming type of thing. Um, you know, nowadays, the, the one thing is that when the season begins, and this is the thing a lot of people understand, uh, you are on call 24 hours, seven days a week type of thing. Literally, I'm at home. I'm having dinner with family. The GM calls, the owner calls, a player calls. It's not one of those, hey, I'm going to call him back. I cannot answer it. It's one of those, I got to pick the phone and deal with it now because it, it, it's an issue. It's a player. It's a GM. It's the owner. It's not one of those, like, ah, let, I'll let it go to voice type of thing. Um, same thing when you're on the road. You're on call 24 hours, seven days a week. It's one thing, you know, and, and that's the thing a lot of people sometimes don't understand is that, you know, everybody's home, like, for example, let's say Christmas Day. Everybody's home Christmas Day, enjoying their Christmas. You know, you're watching the Laker game on TV, but the athletic trainers, the staff, they're out there working, and I'm a typical day. Um, I'd be from 9 a.m. in the morning to, to you know, 10 p.m., 11 p.m. So I'll give you a quick, typical day, a quick rundown of what what my job would entail during a home game, okay? Um, normally, I would get to the facility at 8 a.m. We have a uh, shoot-around, like around 10 o'clock, we do uh, pre-shoot-around treatments. Then after shoot-around, about 11 to about 12, we do post-treatments. About 1 o'clock, I leave the facility, head over to Staples Center. I'll probably get there by 2 o'clock. It's LA traffic. Between 2 and 3, I have maybe an hour to do whatever I want. Either I can take a nap or just even return to work out or just catch up the paperwork. About 3 o'clock, we start opening up the training room. Players arrive as early as 3.30 for a 7.30 game. Game begins at 7.30. The game goes all the way to about 9.30, 10 o'clock. Assuming we're going to go double time, triple overtime. Then we do post-game treatments. Um, I'll stay after the players leave. I'll stay there, do administrative stuff. So typically, I wouldn't leave Staples Center till maybe about 12.30, 1 a.m., get home by 2, wake up the next morning about 5, do it again. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So there, there's um, there's not much, you know, there's not much room for uh, – a, you know, even during the off season, you're still busy because you stuff. Similarly, you have draft workouts. Um, you're so you know, if players are having rehab because they go home, you got to go travel and go see them and see how they're doing, check up on them. So it's a year round. I do tell uh, young athletic trainers, hey, you know, when the season begins, it's one of those things that hey, any birthdays, any anniversaries, and like, and apologies, I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer here, but I'm trying to keep it real. <laughs> um, birthday um any anniversaries in any events that you normally would attend like in a regular regular year you just automatically assume hey you're not going to be there because you're going to be busy working type of thing now if you get to be there then that's a great thing that you're you're kind of lucky so to speak so in the, in the you know in the 2021 years i've been working professional sports now that i'm not in professional sports this past christmas 2019 was the first christmas i was actually home in 20 years wow yeah wow. so that's the life of a man uh in pro sports <laughs> Jeez. So now, positive note. Let's try it. a positive note. Obviously, <laughs> the, the positive thing is uh, you get to work with the high caliber athletes. I mean, the top elite athletes that you can kind of think of out there. But in addition to just working with them, you you get to know them and, and you get to kind of uh, cre uh, create a relationship with them as far as friends. So you know, uh, Paul Gasol, uh, Brandon Ingram, all these athletes that I I, I used to work with. Um, not I see them as athletes, but I will see them as friends, um, as colleagues. We would go out when we we're on the road. We'd go out to dinner just to kind of go hang out. And shoot the breeze, so to speak. So, so you you get to them because you spend so much time with them. So there is a relationship, 
more importantly, it's also a, a trust a trust uh, factor that kind of you build between yourself as the athletic trainer and the athlete type of thing. So you know, so w- when you when you think uh, of Brandon Ingram, we think of Josh Harder, or you think of Paul Gasol, or you think of Middle World Peace, stuff like that. It's you know, I see them as, as friends, um, not like the other average people. You know, the fans see them as athletes and fans. You know, so that's the the positive thing. On the other positive note, if your team makes the finals and you win the championship, you also get to get a NBA championship ring. Um, with it so that's a huge plus to it so trust me um, I'm not complaining I feel very blessed to be part of the Laker organization for the last 12 years um, there's a lot of athletic trainers that have been in the league for 20-25 years and they've never had the opportunity to go to the finals let alone win, 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 a, win a championship and, and get a ring so I've been, I'm lucky enough and blessed enough to say that hey I have two um, NBA championship rings along with two all-star rings as well so hey not complaining. Are you wearing the rings right now do you wear those on a daily basis or just special <laughs> occasions? I only I just just when I go to bed, you know, top of the game, pool or something like that. Uh, no, I actually, you know what? Um, I think I've only worn it maybe two or three times. Um, to be honest, completely honest with you, I actually keep it at the bank in a safe deposit box um, because I was actually going to keep him here at home in a deposit box. Obviously, I had to get insurance in case somebody broke into it. I looked into it. The insurance just to have him here was like so. I mean, my homeowner's insurance would have just skyrocketed. So I'm like, you know what? Never mind. It's cheaper for me to keep him at the bank. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. So uh, it's it's weird. So. Um, I, I've worn them maybe uh, three, four times, maybe, you know, if it's like a big, huge family event that people want to see them, I'll take it. So everybody can kind of take it. But other than that, they just stay there. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you said you get to, you work with like, like it's pr- pretty much like a full body uh, with, with as far as working with like the teeth and, and, and the sleep analysis and stuff like that. Do you, do you work a lot with the team dentist and other professionals like the PT and other athletic trainers? Yeah, so no, most definitely. So, so the athletic train, if you if you think of like the whole medical staff, you think everybody around you, you think of the team dentist, the sports psychologist, the chiropractor, the physical therapist, the strength and conditioning coach, um, the orthopedic surgeon, the medical physician. Um, you think of anything that would be medically related. The athletic trainer is kind of like in the middle, and then. And he or she is the kind of the, the liaison or the connection between all these groups and the athlete. So if you think like an orchestra, right, you have your orchestra, you have all your physicians, you have everybody there. The athlete trainer is kind of the conductor. I'm not saying that I'm controlling everybody, but I'm, you know, kind of making sure, hey, OK, you go see this. Or the athlete has to go see this. It's almost like a little bit of a traffic control person at the same time. My job is to make to treat the players and at the same time, get them to the right person that they need to be treated for so they can get kind of do what they need to do. Um, one thing as an athletic trainer, you know, I know that I don't know everything. And if any other trainer might say, hey, I know everything, that's one of the downsides. You need a greater staff that's going to help you and surround yourself with individuals. And sometimes you may have to go outside your staff if you need to, um, depending on certain situations, certain conditions. Uh, you have uh, orthotics. You know, if every player needs a custom orthotics, we have an orthotics individual that specializes. Um, sometimes uh, we may have two or three orthotics, such as we have two or three chiropractors on staff because every every injury or every issue is completely different. This is what I tell you know student athletic trainers is that you may have an you may have three athletes to sprain their ankle during a game. All three ankle sprains are going to be completely different. All three athletes I will guarantee you will return a completely different timeline. There's no way they're going to return at the same time. So it's it's just kind of managing everything. So your first couple of seasons on staff, the Lakers ended up winning the championship and you mentioned your ring and how you wear them occasionally. So describe what those seasons were like for you, because we know we've heard all the stories about Kobe Bryant, especially playing through the injuries. How does that how do you convince him to like, hey, listen, we got to rehab you, especially on these high like primetime games? Correct. Do you convince Kobe? Is that is that even possible? Okay. So so usually you run into two types of players. Okay. Okay. You you run into the play you run into the players that you have to convince them to play, right? It's one of those hey you're okay it's not the end of the world you're not gonna get hurt it's okay for you to go out there and play. And then you have the other side of the players where like hey you know what I think this might not be a good game for you to go play I think your injury is a lot worse than you think we need to kind of manage this type of thing. Kobe is that other guy where <laughs> we would blow him down. I'm not going to cuss here, but oftentimes, you know, it was one thing that, that and we, we all had a great relationship with them type of thing. We had like somewhat of an understanding, you know, when he would get hurt, something like that. And we would always kind of jokingly go to him and he knew this already. Right? Hey, I would be like, hey, KB, um, should we talk about you playing today or should I just kind of go <laughs> or you're going to play? And he would look at me he's like, yeah, go after yourself. But in a, in a kind, genuine, you know, that's the thing that we had. I'm like, all right, cool. At least, at least, you know, I know you're playing, but, but it, 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 it's so weird. Kobe... Um, pain threshold was 
incredible. I've never seen this. So I'll give you a quick story. So even before I joined the Lakers, I used to, while well, I was working as a head athletic trainer with the, um, back then they were called the LA Defenders, now they're called the South Bay Lakers, the, the G League team. Initially, the G League team uh, played at Staples Center, also right before the Lakers played. So I would also help up the Lakers when I was there. So as soon as our game's over, our games would start at 3.30. As soon as our game's over, I would go over to the Lakers locker room and either help them out, observe, just learn. Hey, I just want to kind of learn type of thing. Gary would allow me to come over. And one day I walk in and KB, um, I wasn't with the Lakers, but KB is on, on the treatment table. Now, an ankle sprain is usually categorized by first degree, second, or third degree. First degree is like, right. ah, you wake it up, suck it up, this table, let's go. A third degree is like fat, swollen, black and blue. I mean, you're on crutches type of thing. I walk in, he's on the treatment table. And his foot is swollen, black and blue, fat, you name it, right? So I'm like, okay, he's, this guy's getting treatment. He, you know, he wasn't in his, he wasn't in his street clothes, but he was in his workout clothes. He's getting treatment, blah, blah. So I'm just watching this. He goes, um, goes into the locker room, comes back, and now he's wearing his game shorts. I'm like, okay, that's not normal. Some players that, even though they're not playing, they'll still wear the game shorts because they just want to wear some gear. I'm like, all right, whatever. I see him leave the treatment table and jump on the taping table. <laughs> I'm like, Maybe he's getting taped for compression to try to reduce swelling, right? So I'm watching what Gary's the taping job that Gary's doing. And I start noticing, like, no, he's not doing a, 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 a rehab tape job. He's doing a game. Like, I'm going to go play tape job. I'm like, what the? I see him leave, comes back with his jersey, laces up his shoes, goes on and plays. I think he puts up 30, like nothing. That, and, and this is before I was with the team. And that's when I, what I, that was my first introduction to what people refer to as the model level threshold were just like, like incredible nothing was going to stop him um e- even if you take the story i don't know if you guys remember when he, he ruptured his achilles tendon yep okay. yeah so this is called a story like what you refer to as the mom i'm telling i guess a lot of people don't kind of know this so if you get injured okay there's a rule in the nba i don't know if you guys know this if there's a rule in the nba if you get injured and you get fouled if you don't shoot your free throws and you leave the game right you cannot come back you're like you're done you right. return. in kb's mind He's like, let me go shoot these free throws because I'm going to go back to the locker room and I'm going to see if I can still come back from the <laughs> rupture. Okay? Where 99.9% of the players wouldn't even shoot their free throw, would be like, hey, just carry me off. I'm done. Type of thing. But in his mind, it's like, okay, let me shoot these free throws. It's an Achilles rupture. Let me see if I can go back, see if I can figure something out. Even though for him, you know, even though there was a 0.001% of chance of him coming back, like say, you know, in his mind, he's like, okay, so you're telling me there's, there's a chance. But that's him. <laughs> that was his mentality. That's what they refer to as to the mama mentality is like, no matter what obstacles he has, he's, he's going to try to find a way around it and succeed. And that's why he was so successful both on the court and off the court. As most people thought. Yeah, that uh, he's, I mean, that mama mentality is pretty crazy just hearing, hearing those stories. And we had uh, the uh, photographer for the Lakers, Andrew D. Bernstein on at the beginning of season one yeah. he was just telling about stories with him too yeah he, he, he yeah yeah i, I mean kb was insane he was not to do um you know and the thing about him is that he would figure figure out a way um do you, you guys remember that the same year that we won the championship is when he had he ruptured his uh his finger he was kind of he had his finger taped up yeah Mm-hmm. That happened. Normally, you would either go on a splint or you're kind of done. You know, you'll take about maybe four, two, two to four weeks off and then come back. So the next day he shows up, we, we taped his finger different different types of way, try to kind of figure out, see how he can kind of maneuver. He goes on the court, right? Starts shooting the ball. Misses once, misses twice. You know, okay, he plays around, tries something different. Misses third, fourth time, fifth time, whatever. Finally, he makes a shot. All right? Makes a second shot. Makes a third, fourth. All of a sudden, he, now he's got like 10 shots in a row. He puts the ball down, walks off the court, and his mind's all right. I figured it out. I knew. I know <laughs> I'm gonna adapt. I'm ready to roll, and he did. I mean, we went off and won the championship that same year. But that's that's kind of like his way. Try to find a way. There is no, you know, there may be obstacles. He's just trying to figure out around the obstacle, or sometimes in his case, through the obstacle if he needed to go through it. That's funny. <laughs> so you saw a lot of changes with the Lakers organization when you were on staff. For example, like they went from different head coaches to head coaches, even even to new general managers uh, and even a new owner when Jerry Buss passed away. What was it like being on staff through this transition point? And uh, it just kind of seemed like a revolving door for a lot of the positions other than yours. Yeah. Um, you know what? It it, it, it wasn't uh, anything surprising. It wasn't any anything unexpected. And it wasn't anything like I, I don't want to say that I was expecting it for that to happen. But it's very common in sports for that to happen. Um you know, the year when I first started, I was with the head trainer with the uh, Carolina Cobras. I was out in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, I don't know if you guys, are you guys way too young as you guys remember the uh, Carolina Cobras. <laughs> I don't want to eat myself here. Because are you guys, are you guys, where are you guys located? <laughs> We're in South Carolina. 
Okay, South Carolina. All right, so um, Charlotte's literally what two, uh, thirty minutes from the border of South Carolina, I think. Uh, yep. I, I yeah. stay right at uh, Lake Wiley, uh, which is like right there. Um, that's okay. Where yeah. Okay. Um, so the one year that I was there, we went through four head coaches, type of thing. We had um, in one season. Okay. Exactly. So, um, but that, that's the nature of the, that's the nature of the beast. That's the nature of sports. You know, that's one of the downside, one of the down things of sports and it affects everybody. The head coaches, the GMs, the owners, uh, the, the training staff, the strength coaches, the players, it, no one's immune to it. And that's just part of what the world goes into. So, um, you know, it, you know, one of the things I always tell everybody, you know, the trainers is that getting into the league is probably easier than staying in the league. It's, and it's kind of weird, but it, it, it sucks, and it, it's just the way it is. And it's something that you can't take personal. It's as I say, it's business. Um, going to you have to understand that that's part of the whole the whole area or realm of being in professional sports. You know, it, it's not like where you're um, either a, you work at, at a government job or you work at a uh, school district where you or a university where you have tenure, and then you're like, hey, I'm guaranteed here. No one can get rid of me. I can, you know, you know. So, but that's that's the nature of the sport. Was there ever a time when you were on staff and um, there was a player who you thought should uh, shouldn't play, and then a coach, the coach came up to you and said, "We need we need this person to play," but you kind of had to like talk the coach out of wanting that player to play, other than Kobe Bryant, of course. Yeah. So here, here's the thing. Um, it, it, it happens all the time. Um, coaches, uh, you know, they want to win as an athlete trainer. My job, I want to win games too. Trust me, we all want to win games, type of thing. But my job is try to have the best the perspective so you know what, what oftentimes it comes down to is one of the questions you have to ask yourself is a risk reward um, when it comes to a player what is is, is it a higher risk of the athlete playing this game versus the reward that we're going to get out got getting into it now obviously as the as the season goes long when we get into the playoffs um, who the player is versus uh, where we're at is also kind of takes in consideration you know I'll ask you guys one specific, you know I'll ask you guys a question would you guys take a 75% healthy Michael Jordan over their backup? Oh, man. Risk reward. <laughs> but, I mean, obviously we take Michael Jordan, right? Exactly. And that, that's usually the way it works. And then, two, also, it's also the player. You know, like I said, when it comes to Kobe Bryant, we had a, there were times we had to literally had to convince him, hey, you know, you may not want to play in this game. You know, it's not worth it. You know, we have other players. Maybe the team that we're playing isn't all that great. Our chances of winning are pretty high. So you may want to sit this one out type of thing. But like I said, Kobe was a competitor. He wanted to play in every single game. So that was kind of like our job. Um, and every, it, you know, it, it's, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Every athlete, every individual is completely different. As an athletic trainer, you know, there's a saying is when you're when you're an athlete and you're playing with your teammates, you have to know your personnel. As an athletic trainer, you have to know your personnel too. There's some athletes that are, they're, they have a higher pain threshold, which you can kind of push them. There's others that have a very low threshold where you have to maybe, you know, I don't want to say cuddle them, but kind of get them to understand type of thing. So every player is different, yeah. and that's what you got to do. So it's, it's it's different. It's also got the management part. So not to be the the bear bad news or, or bring bring this down, but you you are no longer with the Lakers organization. So can you sure. kind of talk us through what happened and, and like what how you guys decided to part ways? Um, you know, the, I don't know if there's anything that specifically happened, you know, for me to pinpoint type of thing. There's a variety of type of, type of either issues, scenarios, things that happened. Um, obviously, when I got hired, I was hired by Mitch Kupchak. I was part of the Luke Walton staff when, when, when you know, he came on board. He was the one that kind of green-lighted me. You know, Mitch Kupchak wanted to hire me. Obviously, Luke Walton green-lighted green me to come on board with them. So I was part of the, the Luke Walton staff, so to speak. Like I said, it, it's, it's part, part of the nature of the beast, as, as they say. You know, th there's nothing that, that I felt that I did wrong or anything like that. It was just, hey, you know, new management, new ownership. They just wanted either different personnel or they wanted their own different personnel. Um, same thing, you know, when Mitch Kupchak went over to the Charlotte oh, Charlotte Hornets, he kind of wanted his own coaches, he wanted his own personnel. And I think if I remember, he kind they kind of cleaned house with everybody and they started from scratch. And that's just kind of the way the, the way it operates, you know. And I, I mean, if, if you look back, uh, do you guys remember uh, not Carmel, um, George Carl, the head coach. Yep. Okay. Yep. George Carl, he was the head coach of the Denver Nuggets, won Coach of the Year award, and then get to party ways with them. Um, yep. So right. Exactly. So. If you're, if you're telling me, hey, if you get your coach of the year award or you get after the trainer of the year award, does that guarantee you that you're going to have a job position? No, it doesn't. And that's that's the thing that a lot you, you know, going into professional sport, you, you need to understand as an individual, as a coach, as a trainer, as a strength coach, as a player. It's just the same. You may be a great player also, 
Um, you may be a top player, but you may not mesh into the system that you're, that you're playing into, and they want to get another player, and that's just the way it works. So but, you mentioned Athletic Trainer of the Year. Is that is that a real thing in the league? Yes. Um, there's also an Athletic Trainer of the Year, and there's been some cases. I'm not going to name anybody. There's been some cases where an Athletic Trainer has won Athletic Trainer of the Year for that year, and they are also parted ways with their team. Wow. <laughs> so, like I said, that's wild. So, Exactly. So, like I said, there is no safety net. There is no tenure in, in, in professional sports. It's just the way it works. Right. So, was there anything you would have done different, kind of leading up to parting ways with the Lakers? Um, no, I, no, I, I don't think there's going to be anything. Um, you know, at the same time, I don't think I want to say there was anything that would be different because then that that would be second guessing myself, so to speak, in hindsight. Um, I did everything that I felt the best to my ability. I think I, I treated all the players great. Um, and that's the, the one thing that, and, and I think you, you know, you, that, that question, um, I feel pretty good about it because after I did part ways with them, every single player of the Lakers called me or texted me one way or another, communicate uh-huh. with me, thanked me for, for what I did for them. And they enjoyed working with me, stuff like that. Every single one from the top to the bottom, there wasn't one single one that did not. Um, so I think that in itself uh, spoke a lot for me and it meant a lot for me. So I knew that let, let me to believe, hey, I did what I needed to do. It was just, it was a situational thing. So after after all that happened, Lance Stevenson said that it wasn't your fault because yeah. you've been doing everything right. So what do you think about that? No, yeah, Lance, Lance was one of my guys. Um, I, I love him to death. Lance is, you know, Lance uh, gets a little bit of bad reputation. Obviously, he he looks upon as like one of the bad guys, especially when he was in Indiana, type of thing. But Lance is one of the nicest people you ever meet. Same thing with Meta. Meta will peace. You know, I still call him Ron Artest. Uh, Meta is one of my favorite athletes or favorite individuals or persons in the whole wide world. People ask me, you know, hey, what are my top three Laker players? Or one of my top Laker players. Meta is definitely in my top three type of thing. Um, but you know, he, he, you know, I know he expressed it on the media, which I was appreciative of that. He didn't have to do that, but I thank him for that, you know, for, for saying that. But like I said, he also texted me afterwards and all the other players texted me afterwards. So it was something 20, 21 years in professional sports. I felt I had a great run. Hey, like I said, two NBA championships, two all-star games, not complaining whatsoever. I mean, 21 the years in the, in the league in general. Yeah. That, that's the what? I mean, that's a long tenure. Uh, 21 years in the league, that's that's a long tenure, that, like you were just talking about, the whole revolving door type thing. Exactly, yeah. And that's the interesting part about it. Um, but, but you know, even having, having you know, being there for a long time, um, I, I think at the same time, you know, the, having a, a family uh, lifestyle type of thing, my kids are getting older. I have three kids, 13, 9, and 5. You know, it's one of those things, hey, where am I type of thing? So, yeah, so like I said, not complaining. 21 years was nice. We like to joke about the drama that goes on in the league, and sometimes we joke about it too much, but we're still going to ask you about it. You actually got to see firsthand a pretty dramatic season with uh, the whole D'Angelo Russell and Nick Young feud. What was the locker room like in that situation? Oh, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Initially, I, I think nobody knew what was happening. Nobody knew what the truth was. Obviously, you know, back then, um, getting your Twitter account, account hacked into what wasn't heard of. Uh, I don't think anybody heard that. I mean, just recently, what, like uh, three weeks ago, there was like, uh, who was it? Um, there was like, uh, I think Barack Obama's Twitter account got hacked. Uh, uh, somebody else's Twitter account got hacked. And they're saying, it, hey, you text It's them, a new you, celebrity every day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I think back then, you, you didn't really hear about that. So, you know, I guess when, when he was like, hey, you know, I got hacked, it was like, nah, it's BS. And then, you know, you, you know that it was unknown of, but... I think if it, would, if it would have happened now, I think it would have been a complete different story. You know, it would have been like, okay, yeah, you know, this, this is normal. This happens. You got hacked and this is what it is. Let's roll with it. Let's deal with it. But 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 because I think it, was, it wasn't common back then for that to occur. Everybody was like, uh, 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 is it, did he, did he not? You know, it, it was, it was unsure. It was like, he said, he said, basically. So, it, you know, uh, Nick Young, Swaggy P, so to speak, you know, he was, uh, he was always one of the jokesters on, on, on the team. He was always, it was funny because he would always have a smile no matter what. It's like even if you try to like get rid of him, get rid of smile out of him, like you know, hey, try to bring him down. It's like you couldn't. It was that's like that was like <laughs> um, he was always in a happy mood. He was all smart. Lamar Odom was another character also when we were in the championship. Lamar Odom was a very he was like the life of the party. He brought everybody together, and I think that's one thing that everybody meshed with. He would always be the jokester. He would always kind of joke around, always have a smile. You know, when he walked in the training room, he would always bring a joke and just kind of like bring life back to the training room. So I think Lamar Odom back when we were in the championship, he was a key component with. You know, meshing everybody kind of t- together, type of thing. Um, 
But, you know, it, I think that both players handled it pretty well, um, so to speak. They kept it most of it out of the media type of thing. The season went on, and I think they, uh, towards the end they, you know, reconciled and apologized, and it is what it is, and we, they moved on. Was there any other dramatic seasons that you uh, got to be a part of while on staff? Uh so <laughs> every year is a dramatic season. That's the thing about it. <laughs> you guys have um, what's it called? The uh, spectrum uh, behind the Lakers scene, stuff like that. Um, yep. but, but yeah, there's trust me, there's a way, and, and, and it occurs in every sport. It, you know, uh, occasionally some some of the stuff leaks. Like I think I remember uh, in, in football, who was it? Antonio Brown kind of leaked out a video type thing of what happened. Occasionally, stuff like that kind of leaks here and there, but. Um, you know, the, the rule of thumb is that what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. And that's a key component that as a team, you have to deal with it yourself, just like a family. You know, when you have issues within the family, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your siblings, you want to, you know, because you're a family and you're, you're, you want to deal with it and resolve it and kind of move on from it. And same thing with, with sports, you're a team. You're, you're pretty much a family. And that's what I refer to, you know, when I was when I'm with the team, with the players, I consider them a family. I consider them a friends. And that's a way you have to operate. Um, and that's how you build the chemistry. And I think those teams that win championships or get to the finals are able to create that chemistry and that family environment that they kind of fight for each other. You know, uh, KB used to have a, a thing about, hey, who do you want to be in the trenches with you that you want to go fight? And that's who you want to be part of your team. That's who you want there. You know, they may not be the best player in the league, but they have that heart. They have that that fighting, you know, fighting power, that fighting heart. They're going to go in and battle to the last second. And that's who you want, you know. If you're out there in the war, you're stuck in a trench, you're surrounded, who are the people that you want with you that you know they're going to go fight with you to the very last last bullet, or so to speak? Or do you want people that are like, you know what, I'm out, see you later, you're on your own, I'm heading the other way, type of thing. And that's the way it operates. That's fair. That makes sense. On on the upside of things, what tell us about your experience with the All-Star Games. You said you, you went to two All-Star Games, right? Correct. So in 2000, uh, 2011, I was the uh, assistant trainer um, for the Western Conference. And in the 2000, and, I'm sorry, two, yeah, 2011 and 2018, I was a head athletic trainer along with, um, I was co-head athletic trainer with uh, Jason Powell with the Clippers uh, for the Los Angeles All-Star Game. It's, it's, it's a different game. It's, it's more entertainment, more fun. You get, I mean, you get to see all the top athletes for the year there in one spot. You see them in the locker room type of thing. Um, it, it's kind of nice too that you know you're standing in the locker room. Uh, the year that I was there, I think we had uh, it was a little bit different because I think uh, we had a uh, uh, Lillard was in there. Um, uh, who was it? We had a couple of the uh, Golden State Warriors. Stephen Curry was there. But but it, it's interesting. It's kind of nice to be able to not only do had a, I had an opportunity to work with with the Lake organization that had some top elite athletes, but now I had an opportunity to work with uh, being the All Star Game and now now work with the top 12 top athletes in the whole entire league from that conference. So it was it was it was interesting. It was nice. Were you selected as like an all-star AT from the league or were you just like because you were with Los Angeles you essentially got an automatic bid to the game. Does that make sense? No, no you had to kind of be nominated to kind of get into it and, and be part of it. Okay, gotcha. So now let's make this transition and talk awesome. about what you're doing right now and kind of like all the certifications that you have mm -hmm. because Behind your name, it looks like you got the whole alphabet. You got a lot of letters behind your name. Yeah. Tell us about all those things and kind of what motivated you to get them all. Great. So, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, you know, as an athletic trainer, uh, I, I love learning. And I, and I think that's one of the reasons why you go in, in, I went to sports medicine or into medicine um, type of thing. I think that's one of the reasons I went to some engineering. Um, I love learning. I always love staying up to date with everything because um, things change. Just, just like a physician, just like an orthopedic surgeon. You know, he or she may have learned a technique 20 years ago. Now it's changed. Now it's updated. And you want to stay updated with the new techniques, the new science, the new treatments, anything of that sort. And my job as an athletic trainer, so I can provide the best rehab, the best medical care to our athletes. I feel that my job is to go ahead and and, and, and make sure that I get those licenses. I get those certifications. I stay up to date so I can be able to provide the best treatment for our athletes or rehab protocols or injury prevention whatever it is type of thing. So, you know, yes, there are a bunch of letters in there. You know, I didn't get it for the sake of, hey, I want another two more letters behind my name type of thing. It was just, hey, you know what? There's this new technique out there. There's new rehab. There's new treatments that I want to learn so I can be able to provide athletes so I can provide them with the best health care or, or medical care that I can, I can provide them. And that was kind of the reason behind it. And even now that I'm not in the league, I'm still kind of continuing on. I, every year my goal is to get at least one or two. 
um, actually, I'm actually going back to school. Um, believe it or not, I'm getting older, but I'm going back to school and I'm going to get uh, start my doctorate in the fall. And that's one of the things because I still want to keep learning. That's awesome. Future doctor Marco Nunez right here. What are you getting your doctorate in? Athletic training. So, so it's kind okay. of awesome. so it's a rehabilitation and sports science and along with athletic training. So it's, it's still in, in the area. And, and I guess in the sports science, that's one of the things that I'm actually looking into. Um, so sports science in the last probably 10 years has evolved and has changed and has become a big thing. I'm sure you guys have heard like the whole thing with load management, like in the last three years, four years type of thing. Well, there's a science behind load management. It's not just like the old way where, hey, you know, you look tired. Let's just rest you for this game. <laughs> it, the, the load management is you track the athlete's movement. You track their fatigue, their physiological, um, their, their mechanical load, their physiological load, their hydration, all that stuff. And then, and then determine, hey, is this player at a higher, based on all the information that you've gathered, is this player at a higher risk of injury? Is he is he like in the red or he or she's in the red that they're at a higher risk of injury? So should they sit this practice out? Should they sit that that um, this game out? So it becomes more of an objective number. Now, does that guarantee that, that that they won't get hurt or get hurt? No, it's all statistics. It's all probability type of thing. But at least you have a better understanding of where your athlete's at. Um, because like I said, at the end of the day, you want longevity for your athletes and you want them to be able to perform and, and especially peak at the time that you want them to peak, which ideally is in the playoffs. Um, you know, you oftentimes see teams that are doing great during the season, whether it's in baseball, football, basketball, whatever, hockey, and then they get to the playoffs and you're like, dude, what happened? Type of thing. So changes. So besides getting your doctorate, what else are you doing right now? So um, kind of t- going to the sports science, so I'm consulting with a company called Strive. They approached me uh, last year in August. Um, it's a new startup company that basically a wearable device company that has EMG sensors built into some shorts or tights with uh, gyroscope, heart rate monitors. And what they want me to do is develop a rehab protocol for the athletes and kind of make it more an objective um, information as far as kind of return to play. Um, you know, the old traditional way of uh, returning a play from a, a player from a hamstring injury, like and I'm talking about like 15, 20 years ago, you know, be like, hey, how do you feel today? Okay, go sprint. How does it feel? Do you feel sore? How do you feel sore? So it was very subjective. Now it's become very objective. So now you look at the mechanical load, you look at the numbers, you look at the muscle contractions. Are they overloading their quad? Are they overloading their hamstring? Um, are you rehabbing? Their, are they rehabbing properly? That they're they're, they're using their glute their glute maximum medius to be able to kind of sustain the load type of thing. So it, it gives you a, a more of a better guidance. And what it does it helps athletic trainers, helps physical therapists to progress them through 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 a movement and progress them through rehab. So I'm working with them. Um, as far as trying to develop all the rehab protocols and the return to play protocols in that part. Um, in addition to that, obviously returning back to school to get, get my doctorate. Um, I'm also in the process of uh, starting up a uh, website, um, kind of like a, the way I describe it to people is think of it as a WebMD for athletes, so to speak. Oh, okay. Um, and what I discovered over the years, and the reason why, why I, I, I discovered this is as an athletic trainer, I always get parents calling me, asking me for advice. Hey, my kid's <laughs> friend. What should I do? Hey, my, my kid dislocated shoulder. The doctor says this. Should, should they go this or this? So the one thing I, I discovered is that unless you're in a professional, you're an athlete, you're already in a professional team or you're in a collegiate sport um, or a collegiate uh, or, or in a high school that has an athletic trainer, you have access to an athletic trainer and you can go to them. But there's a good proportionate, huge amount of athletes where either they've graduated but haven't kind of made it to the pro and they're kind of trying to kind of get to the pro level. They're out there. They don't have access to kind of information. Besides going YouTube or besides going Instagram, but even then, <laughs> it always yeah exactly. <laughs> I always get frustrated when I see an athlete do something and I, you know ask me why are you doing this. Well, I saw it on Instagram, but right, <laughs> doing, you know, time it's like why? Why are you doing this? Does it fit you? So my goal of the website is to try to also educate, not only show the rehab exercise, but more importantly, they can learn. Hey, just because. Is, as they say, it's good for it's, it's good, good for the goose doesn't mean it's good for the gander type being. You know, just because they see an athlete doing this exercise on TV or, or on Instagram or like that doesn't mean it's it's good for them type of thing. So my goal is to create a one-stop shop place where athletes kind of go and then uh, be able to kind of have resources, have be able to kind of educate themselves. Hey, this is what I have. But then in addition to that, um, being around the league, you know, professional sports for the last 20, 21 years, I've gotten to know a lot of uh, physicians, a lot of physical therapists. So, at a, you know, I'm kind of bringing them on board. So athletes have have a resource not only just go out and watch a video but hey you know what hey let me shoot marco shoot marco a text or an email hey i'm experiencing this what do you think so um a good friend of mine he used to be uh, you know the physician for the angels and the dodgers he's coming on board another one uh, another physician that used to be with me with the lakers he's coming on board so now i'm trying to get a, a resources that uh, with physicians physical therapists that have had that professional experience that can provide this information to these athletes and not just hey let me go on instagram okay I, 
I saw this this guy did this video from 24 Fitness. Let me check it out. Type of thing. So <laughs> you know, so it's it's, it's more than that. It's just also to educate the player. You know, just because a player does PRP, you know, like just you know, probably want to do a PRP, does it mean that it's 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 going to help you or going to benefit you? Hey, learn the facts and kind of go go with what you need to do. And that's All right. Science. That's your side project, right? I mean, it sounds like you're busy. You're busy. We get it. Yeah. Okay, so what we like to do with all of our guests is we like to introduce our guests to what we've come up with some like hot seat questions. Uh, and you, your scenario is a little bit special because you've been able to work with a lot of Lakers greats and even some kind of upcoming stars who are no longer with the Lakers. So what we're going to do is we're going to say we're going to go back and forth, me and Nick. And we're going to mention uh, a player's name that you were on staff with. Uh, okay. And we want you to say the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? All right. <laughs> All right, here we go. I'm going to start us off with Pal Gasol. Uh, very skilled player, both left and right-handed. One of the best skilled players I've seen both by uh, Amidextrous. Okay. Lamar Odom. Sugar, candy, one of the nicest guys you'll ever, ever meet and hang out with. LeBron James. I worked with him for one year, um, so I, I, I don't, I didn't get an opportunity to actually meet him, but you can tell he was as aggressive and was a tough player as well. All right, Lonzo Ball. Uh, Lonzo Ball, very respectful, very young kid, does have some stuff to learn, and it looks like he's going to learn. And once he, once he, once he learns that and gets that maturity level that he needs, I think he's going to be a great player. Ron Artest, aka Metal World Peace. Oh, one of my favorite guys by far. Steve Nash. Oh, Steve Nash. Uh, I wish we, I wish he would have spent way more time with us. I wish we had him during the during his peak of his career. He was one of the best players I watch every time we used to go play Phoenix. I, I was one of my favorite games. Man, high praise. Uh, Luke Walton as a player. Luke Walton is a player. I think um, he's probably my number one player because he was the first player that kind of officially welcomed me to the Lakers as a player when I was there. And it was okay. kind of nice that he became the head coach when I also became the head trainer. So it was kind of like a nice, nice fitting. Yeah. Well, then our next question was Luke Walton as the coach. <laughs> as a coach. Um, it took a little bit of adjustment for me to kind of see him as a coach because I was so used to him being as a player. Um, but a great coach, easy to talk to, easy to interact, always open to, to ideas and opinions and very respectful. Great coach. All right. We've mentioned his name quite a few times this episode, but Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant. Um, I mean, Mama Mentality, uh, I'll tell you a story about him, and I think I'm going to kind of go a little bit more. And this is kind of also in addition to what I realized what the Mama Mentality was, was about, in addition to seeing kind of the ankle sprain. So very first year, okay? Um, and I think you guys probably heard him say this. Uh, we go to Denver, and we land in Denver. He still goes to the arena and goes get some shots up. Comes back to the hotel. I get a call from his security, and, and they're like, hey, Marco, we'd like to get a cold tub for him. Can you set it up? Now, keep in mind, we're in a hotel. Now, you, you guys know what a cold tub is, right? Like yeah. The big tin with the, all the cold, cold water. Where to, where to, great. No reason. Just uh, I'll turn on the water to set it up. Boom, done. So first first year, first road trip, I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm like, KB, when am I going to get a cold tub? We don't have a cold tub. <laughs> His security was on, you know, first one on the phone. So KB gets on the phone and goes, Mark, I don't want to know how rough the waters are. Just tell me when the boat gets in. Boom, hangs up. I was like, <laughs> I'm like, okay, all right. So, uh, wait, wait, so that's kind of what set, set the standard of what I understood as as Kobe and working with Kobe and what it meant to work with Kobe, you know. And you know, he gave it all he had, and he expected the same thing from everybody. Not only his, his athletes or his teammates, not only his the coaches, not only the GM, but also from the training staff and the strength coaches. So that it just happened. We're in Denver. I had a friend that worked at the University of Denver. I called her up. She met us over at the um, uh, at uh, at the university at about midnight or 11 o'clock. Helped us open up. He got his cold up. Boom, done. But that was kind of what you had to do when you worked with Kobe. I'll tell you guys a different story also. When I, I don't know if you guys want to hear this one with him. And okay, um, this I think this is the only time that I actually told him no. And this is the only reason why I told him no. So that's we a bold in, move, Marco. You know, but but you, <laughs> you understand why. Um, so we were in Oklahoma City, right? We're in the playoffs. I believe it was I don't know if it was the first or second year. And um, in, in Oklahoma City, there was two locker rooms. One locker room was the training room, and the other locker room was the players' locker room, but they were connected. And I knew that before, it was for shoot-around, and um, Phil Jackson liked to do meditation right before he began shoot-around. 
Now, when he did a meditation, no one was allowed to go in there. If you were in there when he started meditation, you had to stay there. You could not go in or you could not go out. Everything was quiet. So I knew they were going to start this. He, want, he, did, he used to do what's called a, contrast, a contrast bath, a hot bath, uh, a ice bag and a hot pack, you know, kind of back and forth. So I'm, I knew that the meditation started. So I'm rushing, trying to get this hot pack and this ice pack down because I'm like, dude, they're going to start. They're going to start. I got to get the before so I can be able to get out before I get those other stuff. So I'm like rushing. And as soon as I turn the corner to go into the locker room, shit. Sorry, I apologize. They started the meditation, right? So now, now, now I'm stuck. Now, now picture this. So I'm standing there. Kobe sitting to the left of me, right? Right. So he's like, he looks at me. To the right of me is Phil Jackson. Okay. <laughs> now you guys know where I'm going, there, right? <laughs> oh, oh man. Yeah. Kobe looks at me and he's like, you know, he's like, he does this, right? Kind of like quiet, like he like, put him on, right? And I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, no. And I point at Phil. I'm like, no, <laughs> right? And and Kobe's like, oh. And I'm like, oh. And I point at Phil again, right? Because I knew he was Phil was gonna get mad at me. And then you know, Kobe's like. Oh, right. I'm like, all right. So, <laughs> but at this point, I go and I'm like, I have like like a, a flex wrap around. So I'm going as quiet as, as possible, try not to make any noise. Right, it's like so quiet. And then you know, and then like I stand up, I kind of sneak out, and I'm like, all right, I think I think I'm cool. So the meditation over, the the the, the film the film session is over. Phil Jackson walking by me says one thing, says only one thing to me. He's like, oh, two words. This he says two words to me. He's like, you're fine. So he find me for interrupting it, and then I go to KB. Yo, KB, dude, find me. He was like, well, all right, it is what it is. I'm like, God damn it. But, <laughs> you know, he was messing with me at first. Obviously, he, he ended up, uh, KB ended up paying my fine. It was only 100 bucks, um, so he paid my fine. But, again, that's, you know, the mentality. It's like, okay, do I go with KB or do I go with Phil? And then I was like, uh, 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 uh. But now you know why I had to say kind of no initially to him. Man, you lose either way with that one. You either yeah, face the around yeah. with Kobe or Phil. Like, as I say, pick your poison. Right, exactly. <laughs> all right, moving on. Kyle Kuzma. Oh, great guy. Young kid, very smart kid. Um, the one thing about Kyle Kuzma is when I was there, you got to see a little taste of uh, mama mentality in him, which was kind of interesting. It was kind of nice. Really? Uh, mama mentality junior. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Andrew Bynum. Andrew Bynum. Very nice guy. Very sweet guy. Um, loved playing video games. Loved his cars. Um I, you know, I, I was sad to see that his career didn't go as long as it, sh- it should have gone. But, you know, being a big guy and a tall guy, um, oftentimes, just like you saw with Shaq and a lot of guys, uh, Akeem Olajuwon, you know, taller knees and all that stuff kind of tends to kind of, you know, puts a burden on you, all that weight-bearing thing. So, you know, it, it sucked for me, to, but nice guy, great guy. All right, Derek Fisher. Derek Fisher, leader, hard worker. Um, he was one of the other guys that always, uh, you know, when I talk to people and I talk to young athletes and I tell them, hey, you got to take care of your body when you're when you're young. Derek Fisher knew, understood that, and that's why he had a long longevity in, in the season. And the one thing I think I, 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 I'm going to give uh, Derek Fisher some credit here. Derek Fisher is oftentimes underrated. If you think about it, he has the same amount of rings as KB, and most people don't kind of acknowledge that um he, he lasted there almost uh, close to the same amount of years as, as kb for being a small guy he was fierce he was a fighter the the the, the thing that seared in my head i don't know if you guys remember the, the games the playoff games we were playing against houston where he gave uh what's his name an elbow um uh, Lou, uh scola um oh yeah Louis scola yeah. oh man um derek fisher would not shy away from a fight he was uh he, he was one of those like like fierce cats that if, if you if you you know like say let the, the, the sleeping dog sleep because if you woke him up he's one of the guys who do not want to wake up oh man yeah he was he was kind of like part of that their big three because they had like kobe and pow and then it was Derek. correct uh, and like you said he's very underrated Correct, and that's the thing about it is that you know everybody focused on Kobe, obviously everybody focused on Powell, everybody focused on, on Lamar Odom, everybody focused on Andrew Bynum, but Derek Fisher, I think he was one of the key factors or or the key element there that 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 kind of kept everybody together on the court, kind of navigated everything. You know, he was a point guard, and I think he you know he doesn't get the credit that he should get. I know he does get credit. Grant, I'm not saying he doesn't, but you know he should get more credit than than what he you know he often gets. Very true, very true. All right, last player, Brandon Ingram. Oh, Brandon Ingram, that's my guy. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Hardest worker, very talented. Very, 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 very talented. Um, occasionally, you know, one of the years I was at my last year, the second two year last that I was there, 
occasionally he would kind of explode and show his anger side. I, you know, everybody wished he would get more angry or more fierce. He was very kind of easy back, laid back. Um, you know, he's from the South. He's uh, from North Carolina. He just kind of was more laid back and kind of loved his Bojangles, obviously, from from <laughs> thing. Every time we would go to North Carolina, he had a, you know, we would go play Charlotte. Yeah, hit his Bojangles. <laughs> Um, I don't blame him. I spend a year in Charlotte. Um, I, every time I go back to Charlotte, I got to get those uh, um, blueberry uh, uh, muffins or biscuits. Yep. Got to do that. Um, but I think he's eventually he's going to be a beast. Um, I think he's going to be, an, uh, if I had to compare with another player, he might be a little bit of a Kevin Durant Jr. Wow. Ooh. So we um, we actually met Brandon Ingram when the Pelicans played that. the Hornets. I went on you guys' Instagram. I saw you guys took a picture with them. Yeah, Andy had and he, the bow jingles. Yeah, he had his <laughs> bow jingles with him. Like after the game. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he's 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 a very nice, very. Um, when, when you talk about like the South, that that Southern hospitality, that's Brandon Ingram. Very respectful, very sure. I mean, that's who he is. Uh, his, his parents have been great in them. His parents are very respectful, very great. You can tell they 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 molded a very um, respectful, smart young kid. But, you know, he, he showed some little spurts of a beast mode, as, as you call it. Um, and I, I always hope that he kind of brings more of that out with him as he gets as he gets older and, and grows in the league and kind of becomes a beast, so to speak. So our next hot seat question is, since you've worked with kind of some of those quote unquote goat players, who, who do you consider to be the goat? Um, I mean, for me, I, I never worked with Michael Jordan. So, I, I you know, I, I watched him play. Um, I've seen the, the uh, behind the scenes movies and stuff like that, but because I was able to get to see firsthand KB, I got to go with KB. So I, like this much. Just a little. <laughs> wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Last question. Worked with a lot of coaches through the Lakers organization. Who was your favorite coach to work with? My favorite coach. Um, you know what? I have three favorite coaches, but for different things. Phil Jackson, obviously, the, the, the Zen master. He was a, a genius on the, on the part. Um, I loved Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni was a great, incredible coach. And then, obviously, um, Luke Walton. Um, I'll probably say those, those are my three in no particular order. Um, Luke, because I, I knew him both as a as a friend and as a player So uh, and also as a coach. Mike D'Antoni was a great coach, a very smart offensive coach. And then uh, um, uh, Phil. Great. Well, Marco, we loved having you on the podcast. We we definitely learned so much about what goes into being an athletic trainer and everything like that. We loved hearing your stories. We'd, we'd love to do this again sometime. For sure. Let me know whenever you want. All right. I, 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 had, I had fun as well. <laughs>